You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. The election is over. I by by the time I'm recording this, I mean it hasn't even happened yet. But uh, that doesn't really matter. We don't stick to what's going on in the news on this show. Instead, we focus on what actually matters, which are things that will be good in terms of information and resources, whether you're just listening to it now or five years after this has come out or ten years since this has come out. It's about actually being of an actual you know, value to people. And um, I, don't, I don't talk much about the ins and outs of politics. You can get that literally anywhere else. But um, I have gotten to the point where people still come to me for consultations and advice, and there are really two types of clients. One, the people that really put money on the table because they're serious. And second, the people that want a bunch of advice and then they just try and, you know, bitch about how they don't have money and how, you know, this is all just about, you know, doing it for the cause of whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where uh, I'm, I'm really tired of that and I've just gotten to the point where I just blatantly ignore people because they obviously don't appreciate my time or I tell them to just really go literally do something else. Um, however... There are some resources I do want to leave for people at large because probably a couple reasons. One, if you're listening to this and you are actually considering running for office, um, hopefully this will give you some insight that separates the boys from the men, so to speak. I see this with my author consultations. Um, For every two people that, I'm sorry, for every three people that I do an author consultation for, uh, two people will quit after they actually begin to put put a game plan together and they actually see how much work and money and time it's going to take on their end. Yeah, you never think you're going to have to spend your own money, but whether you do it traditionally or you're self-publishing, you will have to spend money. And then, uh, you know, one person will actually finish that draft and whether or not that person actually goes on to, you know, publish their manuscript is a whole, whole other thing. But, 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 um, when it comes to political consultations, um, it really comes down to whether or not somebody's actually going to run a serious campaign or whether or not somebody's going to run and really figure things out as they go. And I've worked for everybody, super serious candidates, uh, super terrible candidates, candidates that were good people, candidates that were bad people, independents, Republicans, libertarians, greens, um, people running in primaries, people running in general elections, local election, state elections, federal, you name it, I've, I've done all of it. And uh, one of the things that I have done that not many political consultants can say they've done is they've actually been able to construct a campaign within 24 hours. 
And uh, usually you, you would hear this and it's kind of clickbaity, but um, one of the most fun campaigns I ever managed myself was for an at-large city council seat. An at-large seat is different from a ward seat, um, depending on how your city's breaking down. Some of you have wards or boroughs or, or whatever. Um, but uh, an at-large seat is basically where the entire city gets to vote. Uh, for some larger cities, uh, you get wards which are breaking up, which are broken up into different suburbs and subsections of a city, and you vote based off what ward you're in. But when an at-large election uh, comes around, the entire city gets to vote, and usually you're voting for two to three open seats available. Um, what's fun about some city council elections, and some of you might not realize, is depending on your state. You might have more people in a city than you will in an entire House of Delegates district or a state Senate district, depending on where you live. Um, I consulted for a client who was a member of the West Virginia House of Delegates, and when I looked at the number of people that were voting and the number of people, number of people that actually lived in his district, I saw that um, the city council race that I managed for an at-large election was dealing with way more people and would cost way more money than this guy who was running for House of Delegates. It's it's really funny, but it's a lot of fun sometimes. Let me go ahead and rewind this. I was working for a candidate named Al Billingsley. Albert Billingsley is a very close friend of mine. Um, he's like a member of my family. I had managed his run for city council when he was running as an independent for a ward-level uh, election. And uh, we were running up against an incumbent Republican, and we were running up against a Democrat in that seat. And um, several years later, he had built up enough name recognition, and he had basically seen what it's like to actually run. So um, the Republicans, they were not able to get somebody to run as a Republican nominee for an at-large election. Al Billingsley is a conservative, so they actually reached out to him. The only problem, though, is that this was in mid mid to late February, and the election was in May. So we only had about two and a half months to actually get stuff together. And most of these candidates who were running, there were about eight people running, um, three Democrats, two independents. Um, actually, no, it was one. Two, oh, I'm sorry. It was... It was six Democrats, one independent, one Republican, the one Republican being Al Billingsley. And uh, two of them were incumbents. One was the current vice mayor. The other one was just another incumbent um, city councilman who had been there for like ever, like the dawn of time. He had like an autographed Bible and that type of shit. His name might as well have been Methuselah. And as we were, um, as, as we were getting things set up, uh, we really had to catch up with these other candidates. The one good thing, though, was that of the eight people running, counting my candidate, uh, only two of them had actually, three of them had actually run campaigns every single cycle. One of them was a, was another former vice mayor of the city. He had left uh, city government for a few years, ran for treasurer two cycles before, and he was running again. So he was he, he had done it before, but he was really rusty. And then the others had just never done it before. Um, Billingsley had ran just literally the election cycle prior, two years prior. So he was still pretty, you know, pr pretty warmed up. 
except this would be going for the entire city of Lynchburg and not just the ward in which we had previously competed. So um, he calls me and he's like, Remso, I just want to let you know I'm going to be doing this. And without seconds hesitation, I said, let me come and help you. At the time, I did not know that I was going to end up staying on to be the campaign manager. I was living outside of D.C. at the time and I'd been trying to do other stuff. And um, my only contribution was going to be getting it set up. But because of people and timing and resources, it just became more practical for me to manage the campaign remotely. And then the week of the election in May, uh, I moved down to Lynchburg for about a week and a half um, following up to the election to actually manage the get out the vote effort and the remaining ground game. It was a uh, it was hectic. But what we had to do was we had to uh, get this campaign f- fast. Like we had very little time to mess around. The good thing is, as I mentioned earlier, not a lot of these people had been running, and a lot of them were just running what I call Facebook campaigns, where you see them on Facebook, but they don't exist anywhere else. No signs, no advertising, no ground game, no interviews, no nothing. They're the only people talking about themselves, except maybe a friend or two. So... Um, you know, we, I looked at this and, you know, the, the difference between me in 2018 versus me in 2016, when I had ran multiple campaigns was that, um, I, I was dealing with a lot more resources. I had a lot more connections. I had a lot more experience. Um, you know, I had definitely earned my scars at that point. And, uh, you know, the thing about working for the same candidate, especially after a loss is that one, after that loss, you just think it's all over and immediately you start thinking of all the things you wish you could have done. And, um, you know, to get the opportunity to go back and actually manage the race and do all the things I wish I could have done, but on a larger scale with more resources, knowing how to actually get things done. Um, I do really believe that even though, and I will, will just kind of spoil this. We did not win that race. We did not win one of the three seats uh, for many reasons. I will say that I ran that campaign really with no regrets. It was, you know, even though we did not win is the campaign I am the most proud of. And I learned a lot from it. And because of that, I got many job offers after that to work through the remainder of the 2018 midterm cycle. So people noticed people saw it was a contentious race, even though it was a city council race, the entire state of Virginia uh, was talking about it. It was a big deal. So Al calls me on a Tuesday. I end up getting a, um, you know, an, an opportunity to skip work. I was working full time at, at the time. No, I was working part time. What was I doing? Oh, God, I don't even remember. 2018, 2017, 2018 are really a blur, to be quite honest. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah, actually, I was working part-time. I was doing something, and long story short, I got basically the opportunity to drive down to Lynchburg on a Friday with my girlfriend, Juliana, and from Friday until Sunday, uh, Friday night until Sunday morning, we had basically spent every waking minute establishing this campaign because we didn't have any time to screw around. By that Monday, uh, we had to basically announce that we're in the race and we're going to be competing, and even though we're the last people to enter – um, we're going to be the first people on everyone's you know, mind in terms of candidates who are running. We, we had very little time to do that, and we had a lot of ground to cover. 
So uh, enough of the context. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go ahead and explain to you the steps that are needed to actually build a campaign. Now, do I advise being the last person to jump into a race? No. Because we were the last people to jump into the race, that was probably one of the reasons why we lost, just because we had very little time to actually get things done. But enough people um, do this for many re- for many reasons. Um, I just want this to be a resource for you. And this will also kind of give you an idea of how easy and how cheap it can be done. So even if, let's say, you have a little bit more time to get um, you know, your ground game taken care of and your team set up, it's more practical than you think. So basically, if my, my thing is, if you can't get it done within 24 hours, you're wasting time on stuff. So with that said... Um, the first thing on this list is you got to get a manager. Here's the thing. Um, of course, you could probably manage your own campaign, especially if it's for like a super local election. Plenty of people do it. Plenty of people who win do it. But the thing is, you want to be able to give yourself one thing, and it's time. Um, if you don't have more time to work on other stuff that candidates should be doing, such as talking with the press, knocking on doors, going to events... Um, I mean, you're just going to end up kind of drowning yourself with the minutia of stuff. Uh, you need a campaign manager to work on the long ground game, to work on the things that you don't want to deal with. Paying bills, scheduling events, um, making sure the website works, going to the bank, dropping off signs, managing volunteers, getting lists together, writing copy for letters and for speeches and for commercials and scripts doing all the stuff that no one really wants to do. Being a manager is a lot like being a mom. No one really appreciates what the mom does until you have to really see it done by yourself and do it yourself. It's really, really freaking difficult. So the best campaigns that are run are campaigns that actually have managers, people who are in it and will do anything for their candidate. It it doesn't matter whether or not I've liked the person or I haven't liked the person in the past. If you contracted me to be the manager for your campaign, I was going to fight tooth and nail for you every single second. It was a ride-or-die mentality. And that's the type of campaign manager you want. You want a campaign manager that is sweet when they need to be sweet, but can also be a salty son of a bitch when needed. Because it's the candidate's job to look nice. It's not the manager's job to be nice. So getting linked up with a campaign manager is key. If you choose not to do it, that's fine. But I've seen people win without managers, but a majority of the people I know who have won, won with managers. It's just what you want to do in terms of how serious you want to take it. If you're going to run for office, you want a manager. There's no reason you should be doing it yourself. The people I know who did it, who did not have managers, were either running unopposed, they were running for very small-dollar races, or there was just really no no reason for them to do it because they were running for positions that no one cared about, like dog catcher. You can run a campaign for dog catcher yourself. When you're running for city council, for state senate, for congress, for senator, for mayor, what whatever, treasurer, um, you want to have a campaign manager. So you can do whatever you want, but if, it's, but if you don't want a campaign manager because you're afraid of being cheap, 
then um, you probably shouldn't be running because cheapness is going to cost you more than just uh, you know quality. You're probably going to lose your race. Cheap people don't win races. Trust me. I know. Um, so go ahead and get your manager. And then I have to address the big freaking green elephant in the room, money. Um, you shouldn't run unless you're willing to ask people for money. I know far too many candidates that would tell me I don't feel comfortable asking people for money. Guess what? It's all about money. If you don't think it's about money, you're wrong. It's about money. You need a few people to donate a lot of money really fast. These need to be the people you call and ask for a $500 check in the mail tomorrow. Um, if you're not willing to, one, ask for high amounts of money, or two, you're uncomfortable asking for money, period, you're going to struggle because it you need the money. It's just it's not a matter of, oh, should I, or the philosophical questions of, oh, I don't need money. Everyone needs money, okay? It's just how it is. So you need to go ahead and just think of a few people to donate a lot of money real fast so then as you start campaigning, you don't have to ask as often or as intensively. People will just want to give you money because they like you. That's amazing what happens. As soon as you're public, as soon as you're visible, as soon as people see you putting in the work, people will give you money. It's, it's just how it is. I think um, you know the, the number of people that donate to political campaigns, it's, uh, it, it's quite it's – quite, <laughs> I don't want to say it's scary. But people who, who, shouldn't be put, who shouldn't be gambling shouldn't be um, donating to political candidates because I often see a big tie between like gamblers and people that donate into politics. And these are the people that think that you know, certain elections gone drastically change their life. Uh, trust me, those people are out there. You just need to go ahead and you know do the work to get the money, but you need the money to do the work. It's it's that type of thing. So um, immediately start putting your list together and start um, budgeting and assessing how much you need just to get started. And we're talking about how much you're going to pay your manager. Manager needs to eat. Manager needs to eat. And by the way, if you're not covering all of your manager's meals and gas, then you're a terrible person. Do that because that person's going to ride or die for you. You might as well feed them and put gas in their car. Because they're going to put a lot of miles and a lot of time in for you. Um, secondly, understand you're going to want to get a bank account set up. I've seen a lot of people that say, oh, uh, just uh, just mail me a check or, oh, I'm just going to accept donations through PayPal. No, you got to have a bank. you got to have a committee. you got to do all that stuff. You can usually Google that for your state. Campaign finance laws will let you know how to properly go ahead and uh, set up a bank account, how to set up your committee, how to actually process donations. And uh, that's the second thing. There, people often wonder what's the best way to go ahead and collect uh, collect donations. Believe it or not, people that are actually going to donate are usually people that are um, near retirement age. People still mail checks. I've run campaigns that did not have a electronic payment processor. Um, usually, their state, uh, they're like you know district wide for like a, a state delegate race or. If it's you're dealing with something like you know city or or a countywide or municipal race, you actually might not need a payment processor. It's a uh, it's often thought well you're no you're in you're in the 21st century you need it, but believe it or not the people that are actually gonna pay and pay frequently and pay large amounts of money they're probably gonna send you a check. Um, so it's not really needed. Just really assess you know your current financials capabilities and whether or not it's even worth doing them. There are great uh, you know, payment processors out there. If you're a Republican, uh, WinRed or Antidote, if there's um, – there, there's the one for the Democrats. It's like uh, uh, 
Blue Note or something. I don't remember what they do. But there are enough places out there where basically they'll go ahead and set up the whole process. They'll link to your bank account. They'll go ahead and put together the, the, the expense reports and stuff for you and the donation reports and collect all that information for you to go ahead and turn in uh, to who you need to turn it into, local registrar or whatever. And um, the, all they do is they take like – Five to thirteen percent off the top depends on what you're really looking for, but it's out there and it's it's really easy. My thing is, if you're at the point where you're gonna need somebody to actually take care of all of that for you, um, giving uh, one of those online services a cut of the total contributions is actually a pretty good deal. It saves you a lot of time and headaches, and they they do a pretty good job. And you want you want customer service. If you're not comfortable with money, you need people who are comfortable with money. So you want to go ahead and um, you know grab one of them. Uh, and then here's one thing that a lot of people don't know they can do. And this is something I did not know until I was running for this race. If you are the candidate, you can actually give your campaign a loan. So here's how this works. Um, if let's say you don't have the opportunity to get the donations to your campaign within a certain amount of time, and you just need to put some money in the bank right now to get things rolling, you can give yourself a loan. So here's what happens. You, the candidate, loans the money to your campaign, and then you can use campaign donations to pay yourself back to pay back the loan. It's good for two reasons. One, it gets things rolling faster. Two, it gives the candidate more of a reason to want to donate because as a as a campaign, you don't want to spend too much out of pocket. You want other people to give you money to go out and be the candidate. So when you go ahead and give yourself that loan, just like anything else, you want to pay it back. You, you don't want to just lose that money. So understand, you can give yourself a loan. And check your state, and I, I'm going to keep saying this, check your state, check your local government. Every state is different. Every election is different. But I'm pretty sure no matter what office you're running for, whether you're running for that or president of the United States, you can give your campaign a loan. Um, third, the team. Who do you want? Really, what you want at minimum, and I'm talking bare minimum, are two people other than the candidate. You want the campaign manager and you want a treasurer. You need somebody that's reliable with numbers. I can tell you this. As a campaign manager, I have done enough finance-related stuff. I can balance a checkbook, but I want to make sure I know I know somebody that's really good with numbers, who's really good at tracking down, maintaining the receipts and everything, um, somebody that can handle all the numbers and also knows all the laws and deadlines. Deadlines will get you. If you don't file by a certain date, if you don't go ahead and report um, you know, certain, uh, uh, certain benchmarks in your campaign, uh, you, you will end up paying fines. And those fines can get pretty hefty, anywhere between $75 to $500 to thousands of dollars, depending on what the issue is. So those are really the people you just need to get started. And we're primarily focusing on local level stuff, so city council stuff. Um, the more you get, um, the more higher up in your office you'll want to go ahead and stretch it out. You might want volunteer coordinators. You might want precinct captains. You might want a publicist. You might want someone to run interns. You might want a comms director. Um, I think it. I think for what you need, it really depends on two two things: the scope and the size. the 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 larger your race is, the more people you need. And I will also say that even though the more local you go, the less you need. 
the less time you have to get things done, the more people you might need. Because what you need to do is you need to leverage every second. There's only 24 hours in a day. We can't make more time. We can print many things. We can make many things happen. Um, but we cannot change the time. We cannot change the deadline. We had two and a half months to until the election, and people have already been running for a year, damn it. It was, uh, it was time to get things moving. So here's what we did. We had the candidate. We had me. The treasurer was the candidate's wife. Uh, we hired somebody just to do social media. We hired a social media coordinator. It was going to be a very social media heavy race. I was not anywhere near where I needed to be, where I currently am with my skill set, my understanding of social media. We hired a social media guy. We hired a publicist to, to do as much to get our name out as possible. Publicist was, was a little bit pricey, but it was worth it. Um, we hired a, a contractor to do all of our graphics. So the contractor ended pretty fast, but so far we already had a pretty hefty team. A lot of our uh, initial budget just went towards overhead just to cover um, what we need for the publicist and for the social media coordinator and me. Uh, we weren't paying the treasurer because the treasurer was the candidate's wife. Um, so that's, uh, that's what we needed. And let me tell you, that was the best team of people I've ever worked with on a campaign. The candidate was out doing the stuff the candidate needed to do. Treasurer, she knew how everything worked. She dealt with the money and the numbers and the deadlines and the dates, so I didn't have to. Uh, publicist was reaching out to everyone far and wide to get us as much attention as possible, wrote all the press releases. I, it's a personal thing. I hate writing press releases. Uh, always, I will push that off to somebody else if I can. I hate writing press releases. It's just a weird thing. I don't like standing in lines. I don't like people handing me paperwork either. It's just one of those things. And then the social media coordinator was working all types of magic. So within like you know a day, uh, we already had probably the most active and efficient social media page. It helped that you know he had previously ran, so he had a bigger social media presence than other people who were still building it up. But you know, of eight people, we were probably number two within a within a week, and then we were number one until the last couple weeks before the election because people started dumping massive amounts of money online. Um, I don't know if it was actually uh, efficient use of their money, but you know, often. Here's the thing. You want a bragging contest. You want to win those little psychological battles. Having more Facebook followers than your opponents, yeah. I'm not saying it will uh, it will help you win, but it certainly looks good, and people want to have that because that's what people will look at. Why does this person have thousands and this person has 60? Now, believe it or not, there are people who will spend tons of money on social media, and they'll lose to a person that's never been on the internet. Uh, weird stuff happens, but for the most part, in the year 20, 20, 20, 20, um, 2021, it's, it's something you've got to do. So I had a guy working on that 24-7. He was excellent. So we had our team together. And, uh, you know, as the manager, I was coordinating with all the staff, and I was already working on um, basically all the little things that the candidate and the others shouldn't have to worry about. Uh Number four, the platform. Now, often you've got two types of people, people that have barely any platform and people that just drown in policy. Here's the truth about your average American voter. Your average American voter is in one of two camps. They are either party voters or they are single issue voters. The more you go into local stuff, you will find that most people are single issue voters. 
How are our property taxes? How are our schools? How is our water? How is our, our law enforcement? How is construction? Um, stuff like that. So I say that the magic sweet spot, and I say this for most races, because most races, most people don't really care about super minute things. And people that care about super minute things, they don't, they don't really matter. They're going to find a reason to vote for you. They just want to find a reason not to. Uh, but at the end of the day, they, they don't really matter. Um, I, I find that the magic number is three. Three makes it seem like you did your homework and you're really focused. Three shows that at least, uh, you know, you're willing to talk and maybe, you know, quote unquote compromise and other things. But choosing three issues is going to do one of two things. It's going to help you connect to voters. And it's also going to make people know that you're paying attention to the big hot button issues. So go ahead and look at the issues pertaining to your race Uh, Look at what your opponents are covering. Maybe you agree with them. Maybe you don't. Make sure that you're able to at least let people know where you stand on that. Because if he's answering a question on X and you're not answering X, whether it's the same response or a different response because you have a different stance, people are going to notice. So have no more or less than your opponents. But I say at minimum and most likely at most, if you're dealing with a local level race, just three issues. I always kept it to this for simple stuff. Schools, police, taxes. Um, that's that's usually what what people care about. And by people, I'm talking your 40 plus year old voter. That's all they really care about. They care about nothing else. Um, next point: website. Websites are like the bane of my existence. Um, in 2018, I made a lot of websites for people, and I'm talking a lot. And I'm not a person who's necessarily good at websites. I hate websites, but here's the thing. You don't need to do much to make it look good, and if you don't have a website, people will notice that. Um, I, on a, I think one of the last races I dealt with, we had just literally a placeholder. Why? Because the candidate said, don't get into too much detail. No one really cares about the website, and he was right. His, none of his opponents really had sophisticated websites. All we needed was a placeholder. He was also a five-term incumbent, so it didn't really matter. Um, it's just one of those situations where we could be lax, but we still had to have a website. And uh, one thing I also want to focus on, because of social media, because of Google, because of Facebook, it's harder to really do anything online, especially if you want to go ahead and place ads. For Facebook, what you have to do is if you set up a political page, you actually have to go through a verification process. You have to submit um, a license or proof of, of identification. You have to have a letter with a code mailed to your address and you input that code later verifying it. And then you also have to go ahead and keep your location settings on. And then you have to have a website with a campaign email and a campaign um, address for the website. And it's got to have certain disclaimers and stuff on there. And then you have to set up an independent disclaimer when you start buying ads. It's gotten to the point where you used to not have to have any of that to do any type of political advertising on Facebook. Now, if you don't have a website or at minimum a website placeholder with a photo and a quote and some basic links to social media and a disclaimer, you're going to have a hard time. So now, no matter how basic or how um, you know complicated your website is, you've got to have the website to do anything on Facebook. So that's a uh, That's my stance on that. Don't get too frilly with it. Get basics. Let people know about you. Let people know where they can find you. And let people know how to give you money. As long as you've got those three things, you're you're golden. You're better than 90% of the people out there. And you'll be able to place ads on uh, on Google and Facebook, which is where you've you've got to meet your people. 
Um, next, social media. I used to have this uh, this issue of saying I need I want my people to be anywhere and everywhere and find everyone and everything. Uh, I've changed my mind on that. Your candidate does not need to be everywhere, but your candidate needs to be in the best places and they need to be somewhere. Look at Laura Loomer, for example. Laura Loomer, um, she may or may not have been elected by now. I don't know. I'm recording this before the election, uh, so it'll be interesting, but she's still a good case study either whether she wins or not. Banned from all social media everywhere except Parler. I'm not saying this is somebody who's who's a parlor employee. I'm just saying this is somebody who was a parlor client before they were ever an employee. But Laura Loomer not only has one of the largest parlor accounts, but she outraised all of her Republican opponents in her primary, almost exclusively fundraising through parlor. Now, that is a extreme situation because she was banned from everywhere. But uh, what I did was I set up a Twitter account. I happened to get my guy a blue check mark. I can't get a blue check mark, but I got my guy a blue check mark. Um, that looked good. We did a little bit on Twitter, didn't do much. We primarily focused on Facebook. Uh, he had an Instagram, but we weren't doing much that needed Instagram. So we just wanted to focus on the one place where a majority of our constituents were. And as we did polling and research, we saw that most of them were on Facebook. So our social media guy was almost entirely dedicated just to Facebook. That's all he focused on. And he got paid a good amount for that, and he did an amazing job with that. So focus on where your people are, focus on where you're good at, and focus on uh, wh- where you need to be. Maybe you need to be on Instagram. Maybe you don't. Maybe you only want to do Twitter. Okay, have a reason for it. But uh, that, that's going to be up to you. you. You can run a campaign with all social media. I mean, you can have a presence on all platforms, but you cannot, and I mean this, you cannot run on no social media. Even one of the incumbents who did almost no campaigning, raised no money, who still ended up winning this specific city council race, um, he did not have a Facebook page, but he had a Facebook profile. And on that profile, he was friends with like a gazillion people who lived in his town. So even though it was not like the others who had public pages, he still had to actually do some stuff on his. Now, we can't talk about social media without discussing everything that's been going on the last couple of years. Social media now is far different from when I was running campaigns and stuff in like 2015, 2016. It's just everything is different. And uh, there's one thing that you need to understand there are two types of campaigns. Campaigns that are almost entirely social media dependent and campaigns that completely underutilize social media. Regardless as to my feelings about Facebook and Twitter, the thing is if you do it right, even if you don't, you know, do even even if you do nothing wrong, they'll still go after you. But if you don't give them a blatant reason to and you can fight it, if you can go unnoticed by the big Twitter people, Um, ultimately you can get a lot of leverage from social media. What you don't want to be is the guy that only depends on social media. I had a candidate who was running for state Senate. He spent thousands and thousands of dollars on these amazing commercials and he was going to target people in his district. The problem was he was posting a lot of shit to his personal account 
that got him censored and restricted, and it also impacted his page, and they actually would not allow him to buy ads on Facebook. So here you have somebody that did not have a lot of money to begin with, who spent money on stuff that was going to hopefully earn him money and votes, and it was basically taken away from him. Uh, I told him you need to redirect your finances and your resources for the remaining time you have left towards uh, direct mar- to direct advertising capabilities, uh, banners on websites, banners on newspapers, uh, flyers, direct mail, letters, um, signs. You, you need you need a physical presence uh, because at that point, you know, it was during the pandemic. There was only so much you could do. I'm like, even though it's going to be harder for you to do it, you've got to do it because. If you just hope that maybe Facebook will give you what you need in time, that's uh, that's not going to work. You don't have the luxury of time. So don't become so dependent on social media that if you have it taken away, you lose your ability to effectively campaign. Um, it's just one of those things you need to understand. You have to find the balance. Okay, next part, your voter list. Here's the thing. Um you can't just go into a, a new place. Okay, you can't go to Disney World without a map. He, he, uh, that, that's a very easy example. You can't just go somewhere and not know where you're going. Same goes for your district. You need to know who's voting and who's active. Uh, you can go ahead and get a list from uh, your state elections board or your state registrar, depending on what it's called, uh, your secretary of state's office. Um, you can go ahead and get a voter list. Um, usually, he, here's what I will say. Your party voter list or another candidate's voter list is almost entirely going to be shit. I've never seen a good list from uh, you know a local or statewide political party, and you know these are people that take your money and then they they, they just deliver shit products. So I'm just just telling you blatantly. Uh, I'm not even talking about libertarians. I'm talking about Republicans and you know Repu- the Republican Party of Virginia boasts about being so sophisticated and shit. Uh, their their lists are terrible and they're outdated and they're almost never exact. So you're better off just getting a list from your state party and just um, working off of that. Get a candidate's list or a party's list so then you can compare and then you can start pulling out data. Who are swing voters? Who are hard R's? Who are soft R's? Who are soft D's? Who are hard D's? If you can eliminate um, stuff that's going out to Democrats, you're doing two things. One, you're saving money because you're not hitting people that will never vote for you. Two, you're not reminding people to go out and vote for your opponent. So you want to make sure you're doing those two things, not arming your enemy, but also not wasting money. So while I say that getting it from another candidate or campaign or a uh, state party is shit, you, you still need something to compare it to. So then you can begin to divide and conquer and really narrow down and refine who you want to target. Um, with that, you're also going to want to figure out, okay, who has, who has a permanent home address? How many people per household? Uh, do they have emails? Do they have phone numbers listed? This way you'll be able to divide up different campaigns. Who's going door knocking? Are you doing direct mails? Um, you know, what areas watch what radio station, uh, watch what TV station or, or, uh, what, or listen to what radio station more? Uh, do you want to do an email list? Do you want to do direct text messages? You're going to want to figure that out. So getting a voter list is incredibly key. It could be a little bit pricey, but, um, it's, it's something you have to have. You can't just run without it. Okay. You just can't do it. Uh, one of the other things, commercials. Commercials, here's the thing. Uh, we live in an age where you want to be as direct to people as possible. You don't want to be 
indirect. So indirect is any indirect advertising is anything that does not give you an immediate return. Uh, you know, with social media and with Google ads, you're seeing an immediate return. You're seeing how many people saw saw it, the impressions, and you're seeing how many people engaged with it and how many people clicked through. And then you can see more stuff like conversions. Um, you know, direct is going and saying, I spoke with 10 people today. That's direct. Indirect is billboards. Indirect is radio. Indirect is, is uh, commercials. I think you need to do it for aesthetic reasons, and you could do it insanely cheap. I had a small camera. I used GarageBand and iMovie. Uh, some basic graphics, and I filmed, and I wrote a script. It took us, uh, you know, about an hour to get a three-minute commercial, and then, you know, I found cheap, free, unlicensed music online, licensed free music that I was able to use. Uh, getting a commercial is easy. There's enough stuff and resources and how-to videos that if I can do it, I consider myself an incredibly technologically illiterate person. There's certainly no excuse why you shouldn't do it. So, getting a commercial out the day you announce is pretty much vital. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that will help you. People will be expecting it. Put your best foot forward. Don't leave people asking who are you. Let them know who you are so then they can think, okay, how do I best support this person or do I not support this person? You want to go ahead and put your best impression first before everything else you do after that. And then lastly, um, you want a calendar. The day should not go by where you don't know what you're doing. This includes three things. One, events, uh, candidate forums, debates, um, county events where you can go meet people, uh, school functions. You want to be everywhere the public is because the more you are seen, the more you engage, the more trust you get, the more photo ops you get, the better opportunity you get to actually engage with people. Uh, the other thing is important dates, filing dates. When are you going to have to turn in your expense sheets? Uh, when do you have to go ahead and turn in signatures to get on the ballot? Because you have to do that. Collecting signatures is a bitch, but you have to do it. You have to know those important things. You need to know when early voting starts. You need to learn when absentee voting is available. You need to know um, about all that stuff. And then you need other goals, like how many uh, earned media opportunities do you want? Um uh, make sure you schedule, you know, podcast and radio appearances and TV appearances. Uh, go ahead and schedule, um, you know, certain things you need to do. Like make sure you have mailers ordered and you know set up by this date, or make sure you have a video set up by this date. You know, scheduling all your website stuff in advance. Uh, you know, pre-scheduling your social media in advance if you're a social media guy. If you're running it. Um, a day should not go by where you have to ask yourself, oh, God, should I do anything? You have to know what you're doing. You have to use every second possible to make sure you get stuff out. I know people that have ordered mailers that, um, you know, half of them showed up to houses after the election. You need to know, hey, when are these mailers going out and stuff like that. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's basically it. And all those steps really fall into three reasons, which is the three things that you want to make sure you're hitting when you're setting all this up. One is high visibility, uh, two is professionalism, best foot forward, and three is a plan. You, you get as much exposure as possible within the first couple days of announcing. You look as professional as possible so people don't think you're a joke. And you have a plan so there's never any guessing. So uh, that's about it. I don't do much consulting. I don't do much consulting for politics or for nonprofits. I'm very selective and I charge a lot these days. 
Um, it's not something I really want to do. So don't come asking me for help if you're not going to, you know, if you're going to be upset when I, when I first send you an invoice. But with that said, you can contact me through the website um, and we can get something going if you want to talk or you can reach out to me on social media and we could see what's up. So that's about it. How to set up a campaign in 24 hours. Am I telling you to do it in 24 hours? No. But the thing is, it can be done. It has been done. Uh, for this race, you know, we didn't end up winning, but I've implemented it in other races where we, di- we won some, we lost some. It can be done. But if you're not willing to do the work in advance, understand this is a final option. And if you're at the point where you're having to say, I need to set up a campaign in 24 hours, You better expect no sleep, lots of money, and hard work. That's about it. Find me on Parlor at Remso, R-E-M-S-O, all the other places. Shout out to everyone at the We Are Libertarians Network. Love you. You keep me going. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.